And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection where faith and reason often collide. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here, coming to you from the mothership in Irondale, Alabama, where Mother Angelica began it all back in 1981. Email your questions to us, very important part of the program, spitzersuniversityw10.com. And check out all the Father Spitzer's websites. There's the magiscenter.com and purposefuluniverse.com and spitzercenter.com, the latest, greatest one. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe <laughs> is always available on our EWTN YouTube channel and on our EWTN On Demand page. And you know, while you're there, check out some other great programs, including The Unfinished Symphony. This documentary chronicles the life and work of world villages for children found their father Aloysius Schwartz. Despite being diagnosed with ALS, believe it or not, he was dedicated his life to serving the poor. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And you can see it for free anytime, 24-7, on our on-demand page with so many other wonderful programs. Our topic today, the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, available now through EW10's Religious Catholic, is from Father's book, of course. We could use that teaching especially today. Our book of the month for July is The Roots of Christian Civilization, First Principles of a Just and Order Society by our great friend and host of Open Line, Father Brian Malady. Uh, and I did a wonderful book interview. Hopefully you get to see it as well. He's always interesting. And speaking of interesting men, we have our own Father Spitzer out on the West Coast. Great to see you, Father. How are you doing? Great to be with you too, Doug. I'm doing great. Great. If you'd like to kick things off with a, a prayer, that'd be great. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you today to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. So here we are in July. Uh, a couple of weeks, uh, you're the president of Napa, right? The, uh, so that uh, yep. you got an event coming up <laughs> in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Napa Institute. We've got a, a whole variety of people uh, coming over, and uh, I think it'll be a really interesting um, uh, time uh, with uh, even uh, our former vice president there, Mike Pence, I, I believe will be uh, one mm -hmm. of our keynotes. So uh, um, it should be a very, very interesting um, uh, session. And um, uh, come and spend some time with us. And Doug, I think we're going to be doing a live program. Yes, we are uh, right. from Napa as well. So, Absolutely. and people are invited to be in the audience. Yeah, I look forward to that <laughs> as well. People can find out more information by going and looking up Napa Institute on the website for the event coming up at the end of the month. Speaking of news out there and events that are coming up uh, at the end of the month into August, it's the World Youth Day uh, from Lisbon 2023. Yeah. Interesting statement came out the other day from uh, the Bishop of Lisbon, uh, Americo Aguiar. He's the head of World Day, Youth Day Lisbon 2023. Uh, we want to convert, he said, we don't want to convert the young people to Christ or to the Catholic Church or anything like that, okay? Now he was made a cardinal, or will be a cardinal uh, in September. Now, World Youth Day is coming up the beginning of August. Kind of an interesting statement. Uh, 
In an interview, the bishop said that his opinion, the intention of World Youth Day is to have young people journey together respecting their diversity, which, you know, I mean, th that's fair. Uh, however, uh, yeah. they also go on to talk about, you know, Muslim, Jew, and, you know, nobody's trying to beat anybody over the head to convert them, but the idea you would think is that certainly for young Catholic Christians, they should be encouraged to, uh, to, to live out their faith. And for a young person who has no religion to feel welcome and to perhaps not feel strange for thinking in a different way. So, I mean, you would want, mm -hmm. you would hope that person might feel strange for thinking in a different way when they go there and, and see other Catholics, uh, hopefully living out their faith. So sure. it's kind of interesting. Um, I think it's a lot yeah. of nuances in what people are, are talking about, getting along with each other. But we have to remember that for those of us old enough, World Youth Day was instituted by uh, Pope St. John Paul II in 1985. It has always been an opportunity for young people of all over the world to personally encounter Christ and choose to give themselves completely to his service in the priesthood or in the consecrated life. So, I mean, at least in most people's minds, they always thought about this as being really a gathering of Catholics or at least Catholic Christians to, uh, you know, kind of reinvigorate uh, their faith in the Lord. I mean, it's great if other people get to go as well mm -hmm. and have some level of fraternity, but certainly we shouldn't be, uh, you know, kind of dumbing down anything we're doing from a Catholic perspective, right? Oh, yeah, I think uh, you've said it. I, I mean, pretty much, um, you know, we're not about converting. You know, converting is not just a a one-time shot. It's a continuous process of deepening conversion that goes on throughout our life, and uh, that's intellectually, spiritually, and morally. So, of course, um, when you bring people together like this, you have mm -hmm. these wonderful talks and prayer services and masses and uh, hymns and so many different opportunities for learning, etc. Of course, one of the primary objectives is conversion. Mm -hmm. And maybe even if the bishop doesn't want that, certainly the participators in the conference are trying to do that. The reason that they're there is not to twiddle their thumbs and orchestrate a nice time. Mm -hmm. What they're there for is to expose these people to uh, the light of Christ on an ever and ever deeper level. They want to bring them into a prayer experience where they will have a genuine encounter with Christ, and hopefully that will engender conversion, mm -hmm. a deepening sense of, I mean, conversion, wanting to turn more and more toward Christ mm -hmm. and away from the world uh, with its uh, pretty much uh, superficialities and darkness to turn away from it uh, in, in order to get the light of Christ and to live according to the right. Mm -hmm. of, that's conversion. So, of course, this is the objective of, of uh, World Youth Day. It's the objective. I, I know about, uh, you know, five or ten of the big participators uh, in this who have mm -hmm. huge tents and booths at these things, and, and all of them have that objective. So, uh, I don't know. I guess the Bishop of Lisbon, he's it's got another agenda, right. but thank goodness the, the people who are leading it and the main participants and in, in orchestrating many of the events uh, don't have his viewpoint. Either that or he means something strange by conversion right. that I just don't get. Well, so, um, right. but giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe that's, he does mean something, you know, well, it different seems like, by conversion. It, 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 it seems like it's kind of like this uh, overarching idea that 
kind of the quote misquoting of uh, of uh, Francis I think uh, not Pope Francis but St. Francis the idea of you know let's all yeah. try and convert people or convert people but you know sometimes use words kind of a thing you know this idea uh, that we just so. you know we have to if we mm -hmm. just act our, our way that's how people really are converted which is obviously true and also yeah. attention I think also I think it might have been a show that we even did as part of the Catholic sphere where there's this kind of tension between the idea of you know preaching the good news versus proselytizing as if proselytizing mm -hmm. has this negative connotation that you're going to beat somebody over the head until they understand that they need to be a follower of Christ. Yeah, well, if that's the way you understand proselytizing, okay. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is, is conversion really is a turning toward Christ, and it's a continual process that goes ever and ever more deeply so that as you get the light of Christ in you, the darkness within you also is dispelled, the darkness of egocentricity, of narcissism, of sensuality mm -hmm. that uses other people, etc. Those kinds of darkness which kind of expose us uh, to the evil spirit, those things mm -hmm. are sort of driven out by the light of Christ. And that's the hope of, of everybody looking for conversion. I, I really, you know, if that's uh, you know, I'm not worried about not proselytizing. Right. I'm definitely trying uh, to to bring people ever closer to Christ with deeper and deeper encounters. Right. And I know most of the leaders and participants are trying to do the same. So, I mean, whatever the Lisbon Cardinal Bishop wants to right. do is fine by me, but it sure isn't the agenda of most of the people I know right. who are trying to bring the light of Christ to the world. He may have a different agenda. I, I don't know. Right. Maybe there'll be some more clarifications, you know, about what was said or yeah. not said and the context. Yeah. Uh, we're right. kind of used to that now. Right. Uh, talking about children, <laughs> I, uh, we've got our, uh, a great quote from Jim Caviezel. Our love for ch God's children has got to be greater than our fear of evil, just as our love for Jesus has got to yeah. be greater than our fear of the cross. And, of course, this has to do with him portraying uh, Tim Ballard, a former government agent, on a mission to rescue children from human trafficking. This movie, Sound of Freedom, yeah. uh, which I can say I saw it yeah. is excellent, and I would highly recommend it to anybody mm -hmm. to see. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. And what's, uh, Eduardo Verastegui was behind it. Uh, him and Jim uh -huh. Caviezel went out uh, on, a, on a limb yeah. in a lot of ways, and it's been, had some weird reaction to it in the uh, mainstream press you know, who kind of go after really? it as some sort of QAnon or right-wing thing where who cares about that, which isn't true anyway, but you're talking about protecting children here. What could be wrong about that? Uh, who knows? But, you know, anything that Jim and Eduardo try to do, um, you know, is, of course, going to be criticized um, just because they, you know, they're, they're involved in it. But I think they're doing excellent work, and they've done excellent work mm -hmm. in, the, in the past. I've heard nothing but good reviews from people who actually saw the movie. Right. I think it sheds a lot of light on a terrible problem. Uh, that is going on, namely the sex trafficking of children. And uh, according to the people who, who have seen it, 
uh, really does give that message mm -hmm. that there is, of course, um, this is not just, you know, as it were, uh, people making money. It's, it's a terrible evil, mm -hmm. and it's an evil on a cosmic and spiritual level. And that comes out very, very nicely uh, in the film. And I think Caviezel's statement, Jim Caviezel's statement, is very right, appropriate right. to the fact that, yeah, we, we, the, the love of Christ is within us. The love of these kids is within us. That's the motivating right. force of it. And, uh, and uh, we've got to overcome right. our fears and put a stop to this incredible darkness that, by the way, is most powerfully manifest in the United States, which right. is the customer base. Uh, for um, for the uh, right. uh, the sex trafficking, right. so right. yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 obviously you know I would I would say you know the uh, you know pornography p plays a big part to all of this. I saw it when I worked on oh, the yeah. Playboy Channel. The programming that was done, it had to be weirder and weirder and harder and harder to get the same reaction. And so you keep going into right. weirder and weirder things. Uh, and now you know it ends up being right. something to do with children. Uh, which is like the most yeah, demonic yeah. one of the ones that you could deal with, you know. And oh yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you know, when you combine this with abortion, you know, you got your two good sacraments of the uh, two evil sacraments right. of the devil, and uh, so uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, it's coming alive right. more and more as we detach from the light of Christ, mm -hmm. the very thing that we want to bring people closer to. Right, absolutely. Uh, another story which we, we've touched on several times, uh, dealing with transgenderism. This is from an article from the Catholic World Report. Uh, and it, it's kind uh -huh. of talking about, especially since I know at the Synod, because uh, uh, several uh, people have been named, including Father James mm -hmm. Martin. Um, okay, And this article talks about the idea, and some Catholics believe that any criticism and questioning of transgenderism is contrary to Catholic teaching. Father James Martin, S.J., accepts that being transgender is normal and the repentance from public declaration of being such is unnecessary and wrong because they are children of God. And apparently a quote from a video he did several years ago, he claimed that chastity is not required of people of the LGBT persuasion because Martin said, for a teaching to be really authoritative, I hadn't heard this one in a while, it is expected it will be received by the people of God. However, he continues, the teaching that LGBT people must be celibate their entire lives has not been received. Okay. Uh, and the article goes on to say, this sounds more like the gospel of self-esteem than the gospel of Christ, the author writes. In the last half of the last century, psychological notions about self-esteem, self-acceptance, self-actualization became popular with many Catholics. But as the great, uh, and they quote Paul Witz, who was terrific, uh, observed human potential yeah. psychology was nothing but quote-unquote a cult of self-worship. And this was a great quote. I was interested in your prayer. And Abraham Maslow, one of the founders of the human potential movement, admitted that if the doctrine of original sin was true, then his own theories were in error. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess where do I start from all, right. with all this? Uh, the first thing I think to start with is uh, there are a few missing uh, pieces there uh, when we talk about acceptance and we talk about, um, you know, normality. Mm -hmm. uh, to begin with, you know, you can't, if, if normalization is an overused term which is ill-defined, mm -hmm. I think we should just drop it um, from the very beginning because we know 
that the vast majority of people with uh, pre-adolescent transgender desires, they will go back to their normal uh, biological, their, that is to say their sex, uh, according to biology, mm. their biological sex, um, if um, they're given uh, the chance to do so, the encouragement to do so, and sometimes uh, with some therapy, but uh, most of the time, no therapy mm -hmm. is needed for them to transition back. The problem is if you interrupt that normal cycle and you start encouraging the person to go ahead and desire a sexual reassignment surgery and you get their hopes up in that direction, right. then you begin to sort of skew um, the, uh, the, the desire of the pre-adolescent who does not have a well-developed frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, they're inclined to think uh, that, yeah, this is, this is the thing to do. And then you use the word normal. Mm -hmm. It's normal for you to do that. When in point of fact, well, no, what's normal is you'd go back to your biological mm -hmm. gender if people wouldn't quit uh, you know, uh, putting you on uh, uh, gender-affirming therapy, which is hormones that are contrary to the ones that are being issued by your body. The second thing that's not being said is, uh, in that word normal, is once you start getting the hormones, even as a pre-adolescent that's, that's allowed in order to prepare for the sexual reassignment surgery later, when you start getting those hormones, just remember your mortality rate is gonna increase three times. Mm -hmm. So you're putting stuff into your body that's not normal for your body. Mm -hmm. And when you start doing that, the physiological causes, the emotional causes, right? You're gonna throw your emotions off, you're gonna throw your brain chemistry off, you're gonna throw your, your uh, physical chemistry off, everything's gonna start happening. Slowly but surely, mm -hmm. this is gonna happen. And by the time, you, you know, you're 10 years uh, after you start receiving these hormones, uh, the, your mortality rate is gonna go up. And in, you know, the, um, uh, the Van Hagen study that was done in, in Holland over a 50-year period, they were never able to bring that mortality rate down no matter what they did. And th this test was being run actually by clinics that were administering a gender-affirming uh, hormones, that is to say hormones of the opposite sex from the, your biological sex. So uh, all I can tell you is, well, what are you talking about? Normality, I mean, this is so abnormal uh, to your body that you're actually introducing drugs that are undermining not only your physiology, but your brain chemistry, your mm -hmm. emotional stability, etc. So I think this is a huge misnomer. misnomer. Mm -hmm. I think these kind of catchphrases which use these terms are very, very ill-advised. Mm -hmm. And so again, I, 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 I would have to say I disagree profoundly with this and at the end of the day uh, sexual reassignment surgery I've right. already talked about this the suicide the actual suicides right. go up by a factor of 20 times so I mean what we're talking about is uh, you know th this is not normal this right. is not good this is you know if you're gonna you know say this why not just tell people to go ahead and, and take a, a drug that will you know, increase their mortality rate by three times uh, because maybe it gives you some pleasure. Right. Go ahead and you know, start doing the LSD uh, you know, regimen, right. or regimen uh, you know, so you can well, go ahead and too, enhance. Well, they're pushing that too, I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's out there again. No, I'm sure it? they are. <laughs> you know, I mean, but let's face facts. The, the, you, know, the, you know, the health establishment is mm -hmm. just, <laughs> to my mind, 
wh where are they? I know there are really, really good doctors out there who dispute uh, these kinds of, you know, tendencies, you know, with all of their being. And we know already that Great Britain, Sweden, and Finland have already reversed mm -hmm. track on, on all of these things themselves. Right. But the, 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 the problem is, in the United right. States, this kind of logic, this kind of use of words like normality, and of course, uh, the idea that a, a, a moral teaching has to be received in order for it to be valid. Are you kidding me? There's just no such you know, norm anywhere that I know of. If you don't receive it, that means you don't receive it. It doesn't mean that the teaching, which is objectively distinct from your subjectivity, is invalid. Right. I mean, I mean I, that, that's just a non sequitur of, of the first water. Right. So, I mean, uh, I, I dispute that, and I don't think the receiving of the truth is needed in order for an objective teaching right. to be true by its own standard. And, right. and, and the standard, by the way, is Jesus Christ, and right. the standard is the natural law, and you can make very good cases that, uh, from that objective cases, and the subject, you know, receiving it or not receiving it has nothing to do with the truth, the objective truth of right. the statement, the proposition Absolutely. itself. Uh, unless you believe in relativism, well, then it's all about my reception uh, well, that's, of it, right? That's, so. uh, yeah, anyway, exactly. speaking, speaking of other problems yeah. with the church uh, and the patriarchy, oh. uh, which you'd, of course, be quite familiar with, of course, uh, Anglican leader says opening of Lord's Prayer is problematic for some. And th this is kind of kicked around. Uh, we used to hear about this during the feminist stuff in the 90s. An archbishop in the Church of England said opening of the Lord's Prayer is considered problematic to some people because of it starts with our Father. And this is the Archbishop of York, and again, this is the Anglican, Stephen Cottrell, referring to God that might be offensive to some people because of the negative connotations of patriarchy. Uh, one um, conservative commentator in England who's uh, said, we call it the Lord's Prayer because it's the prayer the Lord gave us. He taught us to pray it. We call God our Father because that is how he instructed us to address him. Is the Archbishop saying Christ was wrong, that God made a mistake? And that's the question. It seems to be, you know, I guess our Lord was worried about yeah. what everybody would think at the time, so he wanted to be, you know, just make sure his words worked for the crowd he was talking to. I, I guess. guess. All right. <laughs> well, you know, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I mean, you know, the question, of course, answers itself. Mm. Uh, if, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's, it's good enough for me. And the idea that Jesus only said this thing in a time relative way. Mm -hmm. So today, of course, we can recondition uh, Jesus' words to fit our own times. I think, you know, right. we just talked about that. Does the subjectivity of the receiving subject bear upon the truth of, uh, of the utterance right. made? And the answer is no. And you can't ever say that without turning everything into relativism, which, as Plato saw 2,004 years ago, is sheer sophistry. Yep. And um, we're right back to it. And this is just another sophistical statement. Probably ought to take Jesus' words mm -hmm. as he gave them without relativizing them to the wisdom of the age. Right. And we know what wisdom we have in this age. It is so untarnished by all of the agendas of so many different ideologies and good old, you know, uh, politics right. in, in, in general. So, I mean, 
let's face facts well it's a progressive you know we're all progressing as human beings we're getting smarter and smarter we can't find things on a map we don't know how to spell but otherwise everybody's intellectually far superior to the people of the past one more one more just looking at the suicide rates for young girls over the last 20 years it's hard have gone up 200 percent that's a hundred percent every ten years uh, so let's face facts uh, the wisdom of the age is sure not working for right. women no, and, right. and young women in particular but it's also not working for young men right. uh, whose depression and, and anxiety rate went up sixty three percent and uh, mm -hmm. whose um, uh, uh, suicide r rates have gone up uh, uh, almost fifty six percent and uh, whose homicide rates have gone up 23 percent mm -hmm. so uh, it's not good for young men either um, but just saying all in all in all the wisdom of the age right. is proving itself in the complete emotional instability both individually and collectively of our younger generation congrats to everybody right. you know you have really formed the culture of the future suicide depression anxiety substance abuse familial tensions and just plain malaise good going it's a great thing if you want to put your faith in that go ahead but if you have doubts about it turn to jesus christ mm -hmm. and turn to a church where you know you can have the sacraments to basically allow uh, that grace to galvanize and the truth of jesus mm -hmm. christ through the holy spirit to galvanize in your heart there's your choice right. and my thought is oh man if you don't choose christ the alternative it doesn't look good at no. all sorry i got cynical today but it was just one no. too many things that i absolutely just take well here's is maybe this is a positive <laughs> one for you uh do you know who the oh, first God. who were the first uh people to figure out uh about hurricanes do you know who that first group to figure out about how hurricanes work and why they happen no but i imagine uh, they were uh, uh, some Jesuits or some Yeah, monks. yes, they are. Jesuit priests that. were the first to figure out hurricanes and why yeah. that matters. Uh, something yeah. called the Coriolis effect, apparently, uh, was named after yeah. a particular Jesuit where they worked out uh, how oh. hurricanes developed, etc. I figured since you're always claiming the Constitution yeah. and other things, I figured. And the Jesuits uh, yeah. are taking it on the chin oh. quite a bit lately. Uh, we should get some positive oh, yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, no. In <laughs> fact, uh, they also ran 50% uh, of the seismology mm -hmm. um, uh, departments and detectors around the world mm -hmm. uh, until you know the the last uh, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. But those were in in every uh, developing country. Uh, the the seismology right. labs and uh, detectors were being run by the Jesuits, and the university centers that did the training for seismology were were being run by the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. So there, the Jesuits did a lot for the sciences, right. no question about that. And and um, you know, uh, so I I'm proud of my uh, my good order there. Not not everything about it, but a lot of yes. things about there it. There you go. So right. Uh, good. Right. Let's get to one question before we hit the break. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show, you discussed the why of suffering, which really helped me. I'm 78. I have suffered with disabilities pretty much all of my life, including neurological disorders, osteoarthritis, and more. Your explanation helped me so much. Thank you so much. I guess it's just really a congratulatory oh. thing for talking about. Okay, and, and it is a great insight of the Catholic Church and Catholicism, obviously, and our Lord, is the idea oh, yeah. of suffering and, and, and that suffering is not wasted and it's not just this kind of 
cruel God kind of thing that happens to you. Uh, one other question, we'll sneak this one in. Dear Father Spitzer, my lapsed Catholic cousin is on the verge of coming back to Mass. He asked me, are you 100% sure there is an afterlife? What do you think is the best answer to this question, Brian? Well, Brian, I think you can do it from two vantage points. I, I think you can talk about, um, first of all, those near-death experiences, which I have talked about uh, before. And I think now um, there's a New York Academy of Sciences um, study that was done uh, that basically holds uh, the likelihood of your consciousness surviving both um, your physiological and your um, uh, cognitive uh, life on Earth. And if you want to take a look at that, the whole proceedings, you can get the whole article from the proceedings of the um, New York Academy of Sciences. And what they did was they did a study of all the peer-reviewed journal studies. Uh, these would be the ones um, by um, uh, Bruce Grayson and by Samuel Parnia has done uh, a huge number of them, especially the AWARE study at the University of Southampton, the Pim von Lommel study, which we've talked about uh, in the Netherlands, published in The Lancet. They took all these studies and essentially sort of gleaned um, the important factors from it, and in 2022 came up with an opinion that's, uh, that's really quite remarkable. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, uh, you can get the whole thing. It's, it's uh, um, uh, you know, free. And also, if you just go to Life Science News, uh, they correlate, um, you know, the New York Academy of Sciences study uh, with these other peer-reviewed medical studies that have been done of near-death experiences. And there's, you know, the veridical data is so overwhelming uh, for, you know, continued life. Right. Uh, and, you know, for example, as I said, the blind people who go outside the hospital and describe an entire scene out there they've never seen before, including the train that's passing by with an arrow on a sign that's pointing to the right. And sure enough, the, the train goes right down the line and goes in the direction of the arrow to the right in the, in the grove of trees, et cetera. You know, you look at these things, and 80% of blind people, most of them right. are blind from birth, see for the first time when they're clinically dead, right. flat EEG, fixed and dilated pupils, no gag reflex. That might be something that, that really would be convincing right. uh, to your yeah. friend. Sounds and right. I think all, all the other uh, articles that accompany right. it, I, I got a brand new book coming out um, just uh, in two months called Science at the Doorstep to God. And you could just go to chapter four and I have all those studies listed right. and I have summaries of them. Right. Uh, that might be something good that you could use. And we'll talk more about that after we take a break. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Stay there and you stay there as mm -hmm. well. Much more ahead on this program on Father Spitzer's Universe. appreciate you staying right there for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Speaking of a wonderful event, there's the EWTN Family Celebration, Saturday, August 26th, right in Birmingham, Alabama, which means you can always check out the network, go up to Hansville, lots of 
interesting things. Great speakers like Father Wade Manises, Deacon Howard Burke Sivers, Jim and Joy Pinto are going to be there. It's all focused on the Eucharist. We've got the Mass with our local bishop, Stephen Reka. More information, go to EW10.com forward slash family celebration. And just remember, it's free as everything on EWTN basically is from a programming perspective. But of course, uh, not religious catalogs. Some of those things actually cost money, including Father's wonderful books. But at the same time, you give away a lot of information on your websites, don't you? Yeah, I do, yeah. Absolutely. Majacenter.com's got everything on it. Right. And uh, it's, you know, almost 100% free. Right. So, um, especially the seven modules and a lot of the, the stuff in uh, what's called right. um, Father Spitzer's resource book. Um, and right. tons of, tons of, I think, 2,000 pages worth. Very good. Very good. A uh, couple more questions yeah. before we get to our topic. Dear Father Spitzer, I have a sister that left the Catholic Church many years ago. We're both in our 70s. My sister and her husband were in a cult, but thankfully are no longer members. I tell her she needs to go to confession with a priest. Her reply is that she talks directly to God. I showed her in the Bible where priests have the authority to forgive sins, but to no avail. What should I do in this situation? Do I just plant the seed and leave it all in God's hands, Letitia? Yeah, Letitia, I would plant a seed. Um, that's exactly what I would do. And the way I do it is I just say, look, if you ever get the sense that all the stuff that happened to you while you were in the cult is coming back to haunt you, hmm. that it comes back and you, you just can't seem to get beyond it. If it ever gets there where the darkness seems to be increasing, I beg you, go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. This is the thing that not only breaks, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the grip of evil, mm -hmm. but it really does give you the grace to start all over again. And that grace of absolution, of course, it leads to the forgiveness of sins, but it also gives you that mm -hmm. ability uh, through the Holy Spirit to put the past into the past and to, you know, to, to literally uh, leave it behind you. And it is a huge grace. People, you know, I, I've seen it so many different times. And even with young people at, at focus conferences where you have, you know, a, a huge, like 7,000 people standing in line uh, to, to, to go to confession, the whole atmosphere of the place palpably mm -hmm. changes mm -hmm. when these kids come out of confession. It's, you can just tell. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. The, the evil of the past is no longer haunting them or driving them down. The fact that they, they've, got, they've not only received absolution, it's not just psychological, it's a real grace that breaks that grip of the evil spirit. So definitely, I would, that's the seed I'd plant. I'd just right. tell her, look, if you get to a point where this stuff just keeps haunting you or it keeps getting worse, or the foreboding and the darkness and so forth, the loneliness, starts getting right. to you. Here is your solution. Go to Christ through that intercessor, that priest, and it will be transformative. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do, but it's okay, right. because when you leave, you will be a different person. It happens all the time. Right. Discovered it in my, you know, when I went and did my first hospital um, ministry you know i saw this so many times <coughs> where people who were going to get a surgery and <clears throat> there was some degree right. of danger in the surgery and <clears throat> they uh, they went to confession for the first time you know and uh, all of a sudden you know many many years and all of a sudden their whole lives just turned right. around i mean you could see 
uh, the, the change in their personality from one day to the next. Right. So it, it, that's probably the seed I'd plant. Very good. Uh, one last question before I get to the top. Dear Father Spitzer, to what do you attribute dying persons supposedly seeing deceased relatives and friends? Would these just be hallucinations on the part of the dying person, last-minute temptations by the devil, or would God send relatives and friends to comfort the person, Amy? Well, Amy, I think it's the latter. Mm -hmm. And what you find, um, uh, especially if you want a verification that it's not just hallucinations, it's little kids who have um, these visions, right, you know, of, uh, you know, they're in a hospital, they're terminally ill, and several days <clears throat> before the child dies, uh, the child will come, and even though the truth about the fact that they're going to die has been hidden from these kids, mm. the kids will tell their parents, oh, you know, I just saw St. Michael, or I just saw my um, grandpa, uh, you know, or I just saw, you know, somebody else, right? And <clears throat> they told me... Mm that um, that I'm going to die uh, on this day. And so they'll point to a day, uh, you know, Saturday, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and then they'll just say, but don't worry, Mom, I'm going to be okay because the angel told me or Grandpa told me mm -hmm. that, you know, I was going to go right into the hands of God. And uh, he said that, uh, um, you know, you're not to worry, um, and I'm, uh, you know, going to be just fine. And I believe him. And uh, like I said, I've had my own experiences, too, Mark. of, you know, my grandfather talking to the angels, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But the, the point is, I really do think these things happen. I really do think um, that the, it's, it happens <coughs> so frequently Mark. with younger kids, <coughs> and it is so accurate when they come back, you know, um, the time of their death and the fact that they're they're completely unperturbed about it, right. uh, they know about their death even though it's been hidden from them, and they're trying to console right. their parents about it. The, the fact is pretty clear, you know. Time after time after time, it happens so often that um, that uh, I I don't think anybody who really has studied these uh, deathbed experiences think that they're not real. Right. They certainly don't think they're hallucinations because hallucinations are almost without exception, very inaccurate, mm -hmm. and give the exact opposite emotional reaction. Instead of peace, they give rise to kind of a disharmony hmm. uh, within the system, etc. So hallucinations are anxiety-provoking very often, um, whereas the, um, these uh, deathbed visions are almost universally peace-provoking, and the child becomes the emissary of peace uh, back to the parents. Right. So uh, I really do believe that, uh, you know, there uh, obviously it's possible that there could be somebody who has a, a hallucination. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not discounting that, but I'm saying that the majority of these things right. were, uh, you know, especially a child, uh, you know, who has no agenda whatsoever. The truth has been hidden from him. Uh, you know, right. um, and, and he gives perfectly accurate information. Hmm. He's totally at peace. That's very likely to be uh, um, a correct um, right. uh, deathbed vision, very accurate and uh, very true. Right. Uh, whoever he says he saw, he probably saw. Right. So it um, happens all the time, honestly, yep. all yep. the time. Right. 
Okay, let's get to your book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. One of the things uh, on page 21, right at the top in the introduction, we talk about, you emphasize uh, certain areas. Uh, I think it's uh, 11 different ones, I think is what you have. But basically talking mm -hmm. about the idea that uh, we live in a world where there's a lot of concern that the teachings of the church are unfair, okay? That this group yeah. or that group mm -hmm. is unfairly burdened or marginalized. Mm -hmm. And uh, this puts us in a mm -hmm. very precarious position in our spiritual lives for in our seemingly justifiable fashion and outrage at injustice. We're tempted to go against the teaching of the Christ and his church. And what's worse, to abandon the church itself and, the, and thus abandoning the essential sacraments, as you said, of reconciliation. And then you go on to say, before we make the judgment that Jesus and the church teachings are unfair and worthy of belief, we, why would Jesus and the church teach us? It's kind of like, uh, there was a Chesterton's fence or whoever's mm -hmm. fence, the idea, but before you tear down a fence, make sure you know why somebody put it up there in mm -hmm. the first place before you discount yeah, it, Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Yeah, before the bull comes wandering into your right, yard. Right, right, Yeah, good. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly the, the point is, you know, at first glance, you know, and, and these are good people, right? They, mm -hmm. they look at this teaching, they go, oh my gosh, you know, we don't want to marginalize transgender people. The first thing to realize is that the church is not marginalizing transgender people and is not saying anything about transgender people except we ought to respect and love them. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and what is the church and Jesus? Uh, you know, what, what are they teaching about? They're teaching about the action itself. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is there something about sexual reassignment surgery? Is there something about gender affirming therapy that is going to be very, very, uh, you know, debilitating to people? And the answer is yes, there's something about that that's going to be terribly debilitating to people. When you're talking about a 20 times increase in suicide rates, when you're talking about a tripling of the mortality rate uh, across the board mm -hmm. for phys physical, emotional purposes, et cetera, when you're starting to talk about huge objective statistics from 30-year and 50-year studies that are saying this is such a bad idea that you know, very liberal, uh, you know, liberally established countries like Sweden and Finland, and also Great Britain, a little bit more moderate, are actually reversing everything that they have done in gender-affirming therapy over the last 15 years. I mean, literally stopping on a dime and reversing it. You got to say to yourself, okay, you know, uh, you know, is this a biased religious study? No. These are all secular studies from, you know, the archives of general psychiatry, various university studies, et cetera, et cetera. These big Swedish and, <clears throat> and, uh, and Dutch studies that were done on mortality rates and suicides. I mean, they were done by people who favored, originally favored these kinds of therapies mm -hmm. and who are now beginning to think, yiko, this is not very good at all. So, I mean, the, something was right about Jesus's and the church's teaching uh, about these kinds of matters, that we really should be counseling people not to go ahead with the sexual reassignment surgery, not to start introducing hormones to their bodies that their bodies were never meant to have, 
and which obviously caused great distress to brain chemistry, to hormonal balance, and, and, and to a variety of other things that not only lead to emotional instabilities, but also into you know anger and flash, you know panic attacks and 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 so forth and so on, but also to physical death, a mm -hmm. tripling of the mortality rate along with it. So you start looking at these kinds of things and you begin to say, hey, you know, there's something wrong with this action. There's something wrong with a medical establishment, you know, literally promoting this. What reason could they have for promoting a therapy that in any other circumstance they would never permit a tripling of mortality rates and 20 times increase in suicide rates, emotional instability off the charts? Well, yeah, why would they be promoting this? You know, it's got to be basically for money and political mm -hmm. reasons. I mean, certainly from a health point of view, a medical point of view, an emotional stability point of view, you couldn't possibly promote this under any circumstance. But transgenderism, you can do it, but you know, you would never do it in, in any other therapy or any other medication. I mean, gosh, if you mm -hmm. found that a specific medication was increasing suicide rates 20 times, I mean, you'd be sued, you know, right and left. You know, for, for, you know, in, until uh, uh, you, you couldn't stand it anymore. But, uh, you know, well, that's beginning to happen, too, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, where detransitioners are now suing uh, the medical establishments that, that did encourage them. Maybe that will be, become, you know, the, 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 the straw that breaks the camel's back. But anyway, I, I've, I've right. you know, and said I, my and piece. I mean, right, and that's been but, used yeah, by, by the other side all along, which is lawsuits and things like mm -hmm. that and, and making people nervous about getting in mm -hmm. trouble to shut them down, and maybe yeah. that's uh, the same things going on. I mean, you read these stories mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, whether it's uh, particular athletes concerned about, you know, trans athletes and things in locker rooms, you know. You hear these stories about young oh, yeah. girls having to be, you know, in a locker room with some guy, and you say to yourself, you know, yeah. how many years ago anybody yeah. who walked in and did that would have been arrested for, for exposing themselves, yeah. and, you know, and, and been seen uh, absolutely. in a totally negative way. Now it's like somehow we have to accept this. Yeah, now it's legitimated. And by the way, they can compete uh, against those girls and uh, we know the, the results of that. Right. So, I mean, uh, but now, the, but women's athletes are now pushing back. Mm -hmm. uh, on these things and there are school officials uh, that are now pushing back on the transgender bathrooms because the parents are really expressing their opinions uh, at you know parental meetings uh, and um, you know in the the various uh, mm -hmm. uh, community um, you know school um, uh, organizations that have some degree of parental oversight in them uh, to this very day and they're complaining and so uh, I think we need to do a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, uh, you know, what Florida has done, um, you know, needs to be done throughout the United States. I, I think the idea of just letting popular sentiment overrule everything, mm -hmm. uh, even when you see that medically this is ho a horrible strategy. Uh, you know, from a psychological, emotional point of view, it's a horrible right. strategy. Uh, yet we allow people just, uh, you know, in order to be open and nice, we're going to go ahead and permit this kind of thing to happen, mm -hmm. even though we know it will have terrible consequences in the long term.
for over half of the population that is actually receiving this therapy and that 100% of the population will have a 30, uh, I mean, a three times right. increase in mortality rate. You're going to do this? I mean, uh, you know, to be nice? Right. Uh, what are we talking about? Right. I mean, uh, you would never do this to be nice in any other medical therapy. It's the, it's wow. the politics, it's the, the Vogue deal. And, you know, if you get too much on that crescent, you're going to wind right. up ruining the culture. And all I can right. say is look at the suicide rates of young people Absolutely. over the last 20 years. Look, you can see it just accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. There's a great line in a Broadway play where, where the message is, Little Red mm -hmm. Riding Hood learns that nice is different than good. And that's what a lot of our problems yeah. are today. <laughs> what people think is nice yeah. and good are not the same things. And also, even the, oh, you yeah. alluded to the popular, it's not even that it's popular. It's popular with the elites. It's popular with the teachers union yep. or some other group, you know, or some of the, uh, right. you know, the library association, which is, uh, I think the American Library Association, if I'm right, has actually just elected a lesbian Marxist, uh, self-avowed Marxist to be running it. So you, you wonder why you get these kinds of positions. That, that show up out there that are so incongruous to the average person's way of thinking, right? Yeah, well, when people start rushing in, uh, you know, to, to sort of uh, promote an agenda which just has a health value that is a negative 10, we have to call them on it. Mm. I mean, there's just, <laughs> I mean, there's no excuse why uh, the, the you know, the regulatory, the self-regulatory um, aspects of the medical establishment are not going after the terrible consequences of gender-affirming therapy. Why isn't anybody, I mean, the statistics are out there, mm -hmm. the studies are out there, the long-term studies are out there. I mean, there's no disputing those studies. Uh, I mean, we know what's going to happen. We know we're going to introduce these kids to, you know, these increased mm -hmm. mortality rates and suicide rates, et cetera, et cetera. We know this is going to happen, and yet we're promoting it just as if there's absolutely no consequences in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, all I can right. say is I, I think it's, it's irresponsible. I definitely think from the medical point of view, it's unethical. Right. I mean, if you did a practice in the legal profession that led to a 20 times increase in suicides, you'd get sued right. uh, by the, uh, with, from within your own legal profession. Right. But boy, you know, you can do this uh, in medicine and it won't be right. called medically unethical. Right. I mean, I'm just scratching my head and going, this makes no sense to me. Right. But, you know, everybody's trying to rush in, grab the moral high ground, trying to say that nice is good, et cetera, right. as you already Absolutely. pointed out. Right. And, uh, and, and, and so, we used to have people yeah. who were PhDs and MDs. Now, now they have ESG and DEI, I think, after their name. And that seems to be the predominant yeah. thought of, of yeah. what it is. And nobody wants to be canceled. A lot of people in the medical field saw yeah. what happened during the COVID situation where there were a yeah. lot of people who were just raising reasonable questions about how to treat it or even, you know, yeah. where it came from and were, you know, made pariahs yeah. or lost their jobs. And, oh, you yeah. know. So yeah. people are people yeah. are afraid, yeah, no, and right. unfortunately, there's lots of pharmaceutical yeah. companies who make a lot of money uh, on some of these uh, oh, yeah. treatments. Yeah, oh yeah, I I agree. And I, check no check question about check it. a lot of the news I mean, shows that run and see who predominates a lot of the advertising on those shows.
They're pharmaceutical companies. Oh, yeah. No, it's not being conspiracy the theory. Uh, it's just a fact. So you can figure out, yeah. does it have an yeah. impact? I would think it probably yeah. does. Sure. Now, on the yeah. 12 moral well. teachings you talk about here, you know, some of the ones like extramarital mm -hmm. sex, homosexual lifestyle, pornography, abortion, mm -hmm. euthanasia, and eugenics, and you talk about where, mm -hmm. the, where these uh, things are systematically violated, we have negative consequences. You say that individuals decline significantly. Marriages and families decline significantly. Uh, society and culture decrease significantly mm -hmm. in cohesion. Uh, there's factioning, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything we see, but like you said, we see all of these results and we just ignore them or say we just need to drink more poison. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, people are glossing over them. I, I simply don't get it. The propaganda machine uh, is as, you know, overwhelming as people like Christopher Lash once noted, you know, in his book, The Culture of Narcissism. Mm -hmm. and, and now we're really seeing it happen where, uh, you know, people just gloss over this stuff and as if, you know, I mean, the consequences of these 11 issues, you start mm -hmm. looking at what it does, you know, what pornography does to depression rates, what it does to, you know, aggressive sexual behavior on the part of young men, what it does, like 2.5 times increase in the divorce rate, right. a 1.7 times increase in job loss of the people who get addicted to it. And you go through it again and again. I mean, there's no good, the loss, complete loss of emotional intimacy, of, of, of intimacy and, and the loss uh, even of the, uh, of the capacity even to relate emotionally to your children. And you say, this stuff is terrible. And then in the next article you read, uh, you know, it says it's a victimless sin. Hmm. So, I mean, I mean, I, I just am sitting there wondering to myself, is anybody looking at these studies? Is anybody, I mean, these are secular studies from, like I said, archives of general psychiatry, from uh, university studies, uh, from good organizations like the Pew Survey. And what do they say again and again and again? Each and every one of these behaviors, don't care what it is. You get into homosexual lifestyle, you get into transgenderism or gender reassignment surgery, you get into pornography, you get into uh, you know, post-abortion syndrome, you get into all these things. Just look at what the studies are saying. Terrible for your emotional health. Terrible for your spiritual health, right? Spiritual health. I mean, Pew Survey does a survey. says, oh, you, you, get, you start going into these lifestyles. All of a sudden, you know, your atheism rate doubles. Your uh, prayer life goes, mm. is cut in half. Uh, your reading of Bible or Scripture is cut in half. And your church attendance is cut in half. I mean, that's Pew Survey, right. you know, uh, you know that, that's looking at these things. And then you, you say, okay, so spiritual health is wrecked, emotional health is wrecked. How about relational and marital health? Wrecked. What does that have to do with the culture? Everything. Because, of course, by the time you're, you're finished, there's no cultural cohesion at all. There's no cultural harmony at all. Everything is reduced to identity politics, where right. differences are emphasized above commonalities. And, of course, you can see the cultural tension that's just banging away, you know, at, at, at uh, you know, right. loggerheads uh, to, 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 to ruin our disharmony. Well, and we've got, you know, smiling politicians Absolutely. that come on board. 
you know. Great image to and, leave and us tell with us there. Everything right. is, Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us all. <laughs> everything's really fine. Nothing to worry about here. Don't worry about it. With that exactly. being said, if you'll give us your blessing out the door, that'd be great, Father. Okay. <laughs> and bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may Almighty God send His Holy Spirit down upon you, filled with the wisdom and love of His Son, the, the, the love that will save the world, the love that will redeem the world through his teaching, through his moral um, instruction, and, and through his sacraments, so that as we begin to involve ourselves in his life and light, we can become disciples of life and light to a darkened culture that esteems death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Always a pleasure. Stay well. We shall see you next week. And don't forget, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are available naturally through our EWTN religious catalog, of course. And next week, we continue with the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, just scratching the surface. Bookmark this weekend, Twisted Unto Destruction, How Bible Alone Theology Made the World a Worse Place. Interesting interview with Donald J. Johnson, the author of that book. Also, massive Thanksgiving with the Knights of Peter Claver and their Ladies Auxiliary, live from New Orleans. We try to cover this every year, Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, always a great event. And Lords United in Prayer from Lords France, many events throughout the day, including Mass, the Rosary, Eucharistic Procession. Check out EWTN.com for events and times that tie in in your area. And we hope to see you next time in this area. It's called Father Spitzer's Universe. Till then, have a good week.